Um, <clears throat> we, uh, we're in the series Discipleship, and, and we're going to, uh, today's, today's, today's going to feel a little different than the rest because the topic is different than the rest. And, and, and let me just start with a preface. Um, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, so if you haven't said like, I, I, all right, I'm, I want to, I, Lord, I want you to forgive me and I want, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to become a, a disciple of yours. I want to ask you into my life to forgive me of my sin and I want to commit my life to you. I'm in. If you haven't done that, first of all, um, I would, even today, I would, I would love for you to consider that as like a, the next step for you. Now, I also know that we're not all there, and so I, I understand that. It took me a while to get to that point, so I get it. But if that's not you, if, you, if, you're, if you're like, I don't, I, you know, I'm here checking things out, or I'm just kind of you know, looking into this, or just wanting to learn before I even jump in, or before I make a, some kind of decision where I like join a faith, um, if, if that's you, first of all, I'm glad you're here. There's no pressure at all. I, I, I would love to, I'm, I'm just thankful you're here. Number two, today might not make much sense. Today might not make sense. If, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this may seem super weird. Now, I hope you know. So let me just say this. I hope you know that at least at, least at our church, at least at this church, we're, we try not to be weird. We're not, like, we're not doing weird stuff. We don't try to do weird stuff. Like, you're not gonna see, like, snakes up here. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, hey, drink, drink this drink. And, like, like the, you know, like people who drink, like, like, poison and handle snakes. Like, that's not us. Like, there's no weird stuff. So, so today, though, as we talk about like this particular area, you might be like, oh, but now you're doing weird stuff. Like, no. So I get the temptation to think this is weird, but, but I hope by the end of this, like that, that you'll see, it's not that, this, that like it's weird in that it's like, oh, this is kind of just, you don't deal with this or talk about this every day, but also this actually makes a lot of sense. Here's what we're talking about today. Today, we explore this neglected aspect of our discipleship journey, and that is what's often referred to as the spirit realm. There's a spirit world beyond us, an unseen world that that we don't think about or certainly see or interact with, certainly not day to day. Like you you and I have so many more like things we're concerned about and worries in our life that we're not thinking about invisible spirits like like running around this world and, and you know being involved. And and as but here's the thing. So if if you don't know Jesus and you're not in the faith, like this is gonna feel like one of those, oh man, Brandon, you were doing so good with, you know, talking about you know Jesus moral teaching and loving people, but now now you're talking about like spirits and stuff. It just got weird. Okay. I, I, I get it. I totally get it. I'm a I'm a like I'm a I'm a science guy. I like the natural sciences, and I all truth is God's truth. So, so like what we can see and measure, great. It just for I look at it and see it just it's just another arrow pointing back to God. This though is different. This is not like materialism and science, and this gets out of that realm. And so I get I get it could be uncomfortable. But as believers, we acknowledge the existence of this unseen world and, and, and even its, like its, its, um, its influence over us. And, it, and it, so it really isn't that far off. Like it isn't that crazy to believe. Once you get over kind of the hurdle of that there is a supernatural, once you move from the only thing that exists is naturalism and the natural world, once you, 
once you kind of make that shift and realize, okay, but there is something more to this life, this experience and this life than just nature. Once you get what we often refer to as the supernatural, which is a kind of a funny word because it, it almost sounds like, oh, like voodoo-y and kind of like supernatural. Do you know what supernatural means? It just means this. It means above or outside the natural. That's like super just means outside of. So, so supernatural just means something outside of the natural or naturalism. So God and, and like the supernatural is that something exists outside of just the, the natural world that we can experience and measure and observe. So, so once, you, once you make that jump to say, okay, I do acknowledge and believe that there is a God and he is supernatural, above or outside of the natural, it's not then a very much larger leap to say, well, he says he made other spiritual beings. If he exists as a spirit outside of the natural world, why is it so crazy to believe that there aren't other beings that also live and exist outside of the, the natural world? So this is why I, I say, like, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, you're already in this boat and you're going, there is a supernatural. It's not a big leap to think of there are other beings in the supernatural. It is if you're not, because if you're still, like, trying to figure all this out, it just sounds kooky. It just sounds weird. But you and I, like if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you understand the spirit realm. At least we have spirits. Like you have a spirit. You are a spirit. You have a body, but you have a spirit. And the spirit will, move, will live on. And, and God is spirit. And so it's, it's natural to think, just to, to, just to realize or accept the truth that the Bible talks about, that there are other spirits in this world, in this existence. So here's the, here's the, the point that we're going to get through today. And then we'll look at, like, specifically, what does this matter? Like, so what? All right. Here it is. Ready? There is an unseen spirit realm around you. Okay? That's the good news. There is a supernatural world. This unseen spirit realm around you that, that many theologians theorize is maybe a different dimension that we can't see or interact with. Um, and, and, like, so, so there's an unseen spirit realm. Okay? That's the, that's the first set of news. Okay, here's the bad news. Ready? And it affects you. That's the part that we go, wait a minute. What did you say? Yes. There is an unseen spirit realm and it affects us. It affects you. It affects, you don't see it, right, in your daily life, but it has an effect on you. Once you, like, if we read this and understand this, we see that this really, this world, this unseen world really does have an effect on us. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna kind of do a, a quick little like drive-through of the book of Ephesians and, and look at where Paul mentions specifically this realm or world, so to speak, and what he, and what he has to say about it and what we have to, to, like, to understand about this unseen realm. It starts off Ephesians chapter one, like right out the gate. He's writing the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, what we call the book of Ephesians. And verse three, right out of the gate, he says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the, and he introduces this theme that he's gonna carry out through the rest of the book, the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So whatever heavenly realms are, he tells us that we have this, this blessing in Christ in them. Every spiritual blessing that is possible, we have in the heavenly realms. A few verses later, same chapter, chapter one, verse 19, Paul writes this. 
That power, this power that God has that he uses, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And where did he do this? In the heavenly realms, this, this spirit realm, this unseen spirit world, that, that God has seated him, Jesus, in this, at the right hand, in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, which we'll look at, he brings those words back here in just a minute, we'll look at, and above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So he exalts Jesus into his right hand in the heavenly realms, and he says he's above everything else, above every other ruler and authority and power, and and his name is, is, is above any other name that will ever be invoked, both now and forever. That, his, that he is higher and his name is greater. Okay. We still don't know specifics about the heavenly realm, but we know that whatever it is, like, like Jesus is there and then we have blessings in this realm. Okay, next chapter, chapter two, Ephesians two, verse six. And this happens, this, these few verses come right before the super well-known passages that probably, uh, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard these preached on and we talk about this, but you don't know, you didn't know this. You didn't know that the precursor to these, to these verses is all about the spiritual realm. And God raised us up with Christ. And, and this is what he did. He seated us with him in the heavenly realm. So Jesus is there. God bless it. We have every blessing in the heavenly realm. He's, Jesus is raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand. And now we're told, Paul says, oh, by the way, God raised the Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, that positionally now, we are like right there with Jesus. Not physically, obviously, and not even authority-wise, but like we, we are in the family now and we're co-heirs, like, we're, we're, like Jesus is, is our big brother, so to speak. In order that, here's what he says, here's why. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That God does this because of his grace that he wants to show everyone, here's my grace, and because of his kindness, God is kind and gracious and he allows us to have a position now that we didn't deserve, that we are now seated alongside with Jesus. This is why we get to inherit the kingdom like forever because he's like, hey, I made this for you, right? Come on in, come on in. Because of what my son did, you now get access to this. And then we get these famous verses. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not a work of your own. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He, pre- he prefaced all of this, this grace, and that it's not by works, by saying that, oh, by the way, God has actually placed us in the heavenly realms with Jesus because of his grace and kindness. And then a chapter later, Ephesians 3, verse 8, we get a, a really interesting insight into these heavenly realms. Here's what he writes. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, so Paul is saying, like, I am the lowest of the low. From my experience, my history, what I've done to his people, I am, though I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. And he's going to tell us. Here's the grace. Ready? To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of, his, of this mystery for which for ages past was, it was kept hidden it was kept hidden in God and who created all things. That Here's what he's saying. 
The God, though I am the least of all like his people, he has, for whatever reason, granted me the ability to preach the gospel and the role to the Gentiles, something that was hidden in God for ages past, that no one knew about this gospel. No one knew about what Jesus was gonna do and and the effect it would have. No one understood the Messiah and how it would play out, but now he's given me the ability and the role to preach this. And he says this, verse 10, his intent was that now, and look at this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers, two groups, rulers and authorities, not like leaders on earth, not like presidents and prime ministers and leaders, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what he's saying, ready? That through the church, that these these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm, these spirit beings are actually going to be preached the gospel. That they're, listen, ready? They're going to learn something about the gospel from God's church. That these, that these, these rulers and authorities in these heavenly realms are actually going to be exposed to the gospel. Something that was kept hidden that they didn't know. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that, 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 uh, that with, with regard to the revealing of the gospel, that they were things that angels were looking into and looked into and were like, were in, like wanting to find out. Like, all right, Lord, so what are you doing now? Like they didn't know, they didn't know. When Paul's writing this, they didn't know what was gonna happen next or, or how it was gonna, how, how the gospel would affect the world. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. This may make us feel a little uncomfortable, but this is the logical conclusion that assume, like if this is true, if God really is, does exist and what he says is what he says and what he means is what he means and there really are other spirit beings, like, okay, all right, if you accept all that, I'm in. I, I, it's pretty clear. All right, then here's what, here's what is like the logical next step is to think this, that, that if, if God is using the church to proclaim this gospel to even those in the heavenly realms, it would make sense then that, that it might be possible that occasionally it, it could be true that, ready for this, there might even be angels in this room. Now, all of you gentlemen, this is when you put your arm over your wife and say, I got one right here. <laughs> right, right, go ahead. I found there's at least one angel in here, Brandon. Now, in all seriousness, they're like, they're legitimately, they're legitimately, if we, could, if we could, you know, wear our spiritual glasses all the time and put them on, like, I think we would be so surprised at the amount of activity in the spirit realm that we can't see, we don't know what's going on, and not even realize, like, there may be some in here right now listening and going like, okay, is this guy done yet? <laughs> but, but, but what Paul tells us is that through the church, the wisdom of God will be know, made known to all of these, these in these heavenly realms. Whoa, whoa, both the good and maybe even these bad, evil spirits. So there is an unseen realm and it, uh, all around you and it affects you. And the Bible talks so much about it. Jesus interacts with them in the gospels. There's so many times where he interacts with, with the spirits and what are often referred to as, as demons and, or evil spirits. And, and so let's look at this. Let's talk about, about like, what do we know about this spirit realm and specifically like how are we supposed to interact with this? Because again, this might feel or seem weird for some of us. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about this or maybe you just don't like thinking about it, but the Bible talks a lot about it. So the first thing we know about the spirit realm 
is that Jesus has all authority over the spirit realm. That Jesus has complete and, uh, and total control and authority over this. So many times, um, so many times in, you know, movies or books or, you know, uh, like, like kind of the, the popular display of what, like the, the battle of good and evil, it looks like this. It's like Jesus and God on one side and then like the devil and like all his guys on the other and they're just battling. It's like, who can win? Like almost like, a, like an arm wrestle. And they're like, oh man, you're strong. No, you're strong. Oh, I'm gonna win this one. You're gonna win the next one. And it's just back and forth and you're going like, man, God will win some, but man, the bad guys win some too. And, and like, I hope I'm never on that side. Like what the bad guys, like I, I just don't want that. Here's that, when we read the scriptures, that is not at all an accurate like representation of what happens in the spirit realm. Jesus has complete authority. It's never this, like there's even a famous, I think it's Rembrandt maybe, a famous painting of Jesus and the devil playing chess, right? And they're just like, oh, and there's like all this, you know, insight into the chess pieces. And you're like, hey, that's cool. And that's, that's great. But like, they are not on the same level. This is not a chess game. And whoever makes the, the smartest move wins. This is not a battle of like older brother versus younger brother. And it's like, all right, you know, now that younger brother's grown, he can take him. This is not that. Let's look at what, like, Jesus' authority in this. In Philippians chapter two, Paul writes this in verse nine. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, not at the name of anyone or anything else, every knee should bow. And then he clarifies every knee, not every Christian knee, not every follower's knee. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee that exists, like everything that has a knee will bow the knee. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is, this is never in, in anywhere in scripture is this spoken of anyone else that every tongue confess and every knee should bow. That Jesus is on a different level. This is not just a, another guy or a wise moral teacher. This is not that. He is on a different plane, a different level. Then the spirit realm, just like the physical realm, it is all under the supreme authority of Jesus. Here's what we see in Hebrews chapter one. It starts off talking about Jesus and it compares him to being greater than all of these other categories. We, we went through Hebrews uh, uh, a couple summers ago um, and we went through this, I think during COVID, right? And, and yeah, that's right, because I preached in an empty room every single week. That was the best, I loved it. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter one. The son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins through the death, of death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Same thing Paul was saying. And then here's what he says. So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is superior to theirs. Here's what he says, ready? All of the angels, all of these, these beings, these spirit beings, he says his name, Jesus' name is far above all of them. That at his name, all of these ones have to bow. And then he says that positionally, like authority-wise, just as his name is high above everyone else's, so is his position and authority. And, and like, he's not on the same plane as any of them. Now, here's what's like, the this might be a first kind of like light bulb moment for you. I think there'll be a few in this. This maybe will be the first. 
the word angel is not, is not great. It's not the best word because it doesn't mean anything. And, and in fact, like, here's how we don't, here's how we know it doesn't really mean anything. Cause when, when I, when I say angel, like what comes to mind and, and it's different for all of us. And it's probably white robes with wings and a harp and, you know, and a halo and their heads always tilted like, like that. And you're going like, wow. That's it, huh? That's the angel. And, and especially Christmas time, like, oh, it's like angels and their harps and the, you know, trumpets or whatever. And, and you're going, oh, wow, that looks, that looks so nice. Okay, that, the word angel in, in, the, in the Bible um, uh, is, is different. And, and the, like, our English word angel isn't helpful. In fact, the Greek word is, ready for this, is angelos. So when the translators get together and they're like, all right, how are we gonna translate this? Well, we don't really know. All right, so here's what they did. They just made the English word of the Greek word. Instead of angelos, that sounds cool. We'll just call it angel. Same letters, but, you know, take off the S at the end. Angel, yeah. What is an angel? I don't know. It's an angelos. Do you know what it literally means? A more accurate translation is this, a messenger. Angelos, or angel, means messenger. This is their job, to deliver messages, right? Good or bad. And, and that there are good messengers and bad messengers. But angel or messenger or angelos is really a, it's more of a category than a type of being. And within the category, there are different kinds of angels. We see this in the Bible. There are, with different names and different, like different, different roles and different functions. It's not just like, like there's no like, you know, white robe and wings and stuff. Like there are some funky looking angelos in the Bible, so when we talk about the spirit realm, it's not just, you know, one, you know, these, these spirits running around and, and there's guys with like, like white feathers, like, like really nice wings. And then the ones that are like dark and black and red and like their, their feathers are burnt and you're like, how can they fly? I don't know, but somehow it works. That's not at all what, is at, what, it, what it actually looks like. So G, whatever, like whatever's going on in the spirit realm, Jesus, this is the good news. Jesus has authority over all of it. And if you're on team Jesus, if you're on Jesus' side, guess what? You have the, like, the greatest guy in the game. Like, like all authority is his. So, all right, I wanna, I wanna be on his side. I want to be on Jesus' side. Now, uh, one of the things Jesus does is he sustains all things completely. And, 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 and like continual like this, he sustains all things by the power of his word, continually sustaining all things over creation. Okay, so Jesus has a role to play and its authority is different. Number two, the bad news. We have a unified enemy in the spirit realm. That we actually, in this spirit realm that the Bible talks about, there really are like evil guys, the bad guys, so to speak, Right? That there are evil, what is often translated as evil spirits. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about specifically like the evil spirit, the main guy. And he, and he, and he calls him a specific name. He says this in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his job. That's what he does. That's his, that's, that's his, that's, that's his strategy is to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So, so here are the options, ready? Life with me, full life, or the enemy, the thief, who just wants to steal and kill and destroy. He warns us about this thief. Do you know the Greek word for thief? You actually do. You don't know it, that it's the Greek word for thief, but you know what it is. It's klepto, right? 
You've met some kleptos in your life, right? It's where we get kleptomania, like people who, who habitually steal things, like you're a thief, you're a klepto, like you can't help yourself. That's literally the Greek word for thief. So, so this, this, this enemy that, that comes to steal and kill and destroy, here's what he does. He is a klepto. He is like his, all he wants to do is steal things from God, from his people, like steal their joy, steal their, steal, steal their uh, relationship with the Lord, steal anything he can, anything and everything. Ephesians chapter six, Paul writes, uh, he gives a little bit more about some insight into these. And we'll look, at, we'll spend the rest of the time looking really at Ephesians chapter six. Here's what he says in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, and he lists out categories of, of these spirit beings in, in this, these heavenly realms. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil where? Located in the heavenly realms. So in these heavenly realms are certainly Jesus and good angels and, and blessings. And we're positionally, we, we're there. And then he also says, but also there's all of these, these powers and rulers and authorities and, and evil, like these evil forces, um, spiritual forces that are also in the heavenly realms. Okay. So the spirit realm has both. Our, our battle is not flesh and blood. It's not like your enemy is not your neighbor who, you know, is super loud at night. Or your coworker who is, you know, anti-faith. And you're just like, man, they're just making my life miserable. If they were gone, it'd be so much better. No, no, no. That's not your enemy. Your enemy, he says, is not flesh and blood. It's not other people. Our enemy is actually spiritual. And there are other, like, spiritual angelos or, or messengers or beings that are actually influencing this world. Our struggle, our fight is not in, in the world we see and know. Okay, so that's the bad news. Here's the good news. We are called to battle together in the spiritual realm. That you and I are called to battle together and we have, we are given tools to do this. So in James chapter four, verse seven, James writes this, submit yourselves then to God. And then he gives us the strategy, ready? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's twofold. Resist the devil. Resist the enemy. Resist the temptations that he brings. Resist anything that will pull you into that direction. Resist, resist, resist all of it. And, and, and then the second, draw near or come near to God. This, is, this should be the strategy when you're tempted with something whether the temptation is from within or, or from outside, from without, that uh, like an actual temptation might be from a, like a spiritual temptation of some kind. The goal isn't to just say, oh, I'm just gonna withstand as much as I can, as much as I can, as much as I can, and then eventually, hopefully I don't give in, and then you give in and you, man, well, at least I lasted a little longer than last time. <laughs> the goal is not to say, just resist as much as I can. It's to resist and then to refocus back on God, one of the things that, that C.S. Lewis talks about when he talks about temptation specifically and, and, and what happens when we sin is he says that, that when we sin, it is, it is rebellion against God, but it's not, it's not as though we are intentionally thinking, in this moment, I'm gonna let God know what I think. In this moment, I'm gonna go sin against God on purpose because I want to. That's not what happens when, we, when, when you and I sin. What happens in the moment is what he calls the forgetfulness of God. 
we just forget his role in our life. We forget like our relationship with him. It's not that we're anti-God in that moment. It's that we're not even thinking about it. And then we, we, we lean into this and we, and we fall because of whatever the temptation may be. And then we're like, oh man, I, oh, I did it again. I totally, gosh, I'm so, Lord, I'm so sorry. The forgetfulness of God. So it's, it's resist the, the temptations, resist the sin, but then it's also now draw near to God. Remind yourself of who God is and what he's done for you and what he wants for you and, and, and move in that direction. That's the recipe for overcoming temptation and struggle and sin. Here's what we see that, that uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter six now. Here we go, ready? He says this in verse 10. He's gonna get really deep now into the spirit realm and, and our role in it. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is how he ends the letter. Put on the full, what he calls the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then verse 12 that we read for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand that you won't be a casualty, that you will be left standing. So he says, put on this armor. You need this armor. You don't, no one goes into battle without some kind of armor. Even today, right? Like you wear some sort of protection when you go into fight because you understand the consequences and the dangers of this. So you wear armor. Now, there's a couple things that are interesting. Um, that we'll look at here in a second. First, you have to know um, that our enemy's strategy is this. It's really easy, and it's, it's something that's worked from the beginning of time. Here it is. It's to divide and conquer. That's it. That's, that's the strategy. If I can divide them, I can conquer them. It's really hard to take out a church, really hard. It's really easy when they're divided. It's, it's actually so easy. If half of us were fighting against the other half, it wouldn't take long for this church to go under. It's really easy to divide and conquer. It's really easy to divide out like specific, maybe, maybe people from the church and like get them on their own and maybe thinking that I can do this on my own. I don't need the church to be a Christian. Well, well sure, the church isn't what saves you. Jesus is what saves you. The church is what sustains, what helps keep you and keep you like helps grow you and it helps protect you. Like part of this is, is that you're not meant to do this alone. So here's, here's the interesting thing in maybe another light bulb moment. In Ephesians, when Paul is writing this, he's writing it in Greek. English isn't like the greatest of languages to understand nuance, but Greek really is. And, and here's what's interesting. In this passage, the, when he writes you, it's not singular. So what you and I tend to do is we see the word you and we think me, right? We, like, we put ourselves in there. When he says like, all right, so here's what, here's what you need to do. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you, me, so that Brandon can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not okay, but against his work, we're okay. So that you, so that... There's a light in there. So that when the day of evil comes, you, me, a Brandon, may be able to stand my ground and after I've done everything, to stand. All right, that's how we read it. But in the Greek, all of these you, these, this you language is plural. It's, it's all of you. It's, 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 what, it's what they get right in the South, y'all. <laughs> like, they just get some words and they're like, that's way too much work. Let's just make it one weird sound. And, and so like, hey, this is y'all. You, and that's what this is. So what Paul is saying is this. 
hey, here's what you all need to do. You all need to put on the armor of God. Nobody goes into battle with one person, with one soldier. No one does that. Or no one defends a place like, hey, we have this whole army to defend our nation. All right, here's how we're gonna do it. Ready? Here's our strategy. We're gonna send one soldier at a time. You, singular, you're gonna go. Make sure you got your armor. Okay, okay, you can do this, buddy. There's a whole bunch of them. There's thousands out there, but you got it. Okay, okay, I got my armor. Where's everyone else? No, no, no. You, singular, are going, what? All right, and then, and then when you fall, we'll send the next you out there and we'll just keep sending one at a time, one at a time. That's not how anyone does this, but there's strength in numbers. So you all together, all as a church, he's saying, you all put on the armor of God so that you all can withstand the devil's schemes and you all can stand. This is not a, you are not in this alone. This is not a battle that you're like, I got this fight and I'm the only one. This is why we preach small groups so much here. Not because like we're saying, oh, we really need to fill small groups and we wanna get a great number. And we, we just wanna boast it. Like, you know, how many people, there, there, I'm sure there are churches that are like this, I, you know, I'm, whatever. But I, I know most pastors' hearts are not, well, we just really want a lot of small groups just to say we got small groups. It's because we really do want people in community so that you're not alone. So that you're traveling in, in like, it, it, if this were Africa, so that you're in the herd. You're traveling in the herd. You're part of like this group. Wait, we are all just spiritual zebra. <laughs> just traveling together, trying to stay alive. The enemy's strategy is to divide and conquer. And the first like insight is that this is meant to be together, plural. That all of us are doing this together. So here's what he says. You don't battle alone. You were called to battle together to rely on the God's strength and then to put on this armor. So let's look at the armor and then we'll look at the second insight that I think will, I think will, will again, will really help us understand this. He says this in verse 14, stand firm then, and he's gonna list out all of this armor that he's probably looking at a soldier, like at a Roman soldier going like, all right, I'm looking at their pieces of armor and also realizing we have spiritual versions of the same thing. Stand firm then with the, the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the ev- all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and then the sword of the spirit, which he tells us what it is, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. All right. So Paul lists out all of these pieces and, and, and he's very intentional, very specific as to what these are. And, and, and all of them have a, 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 have a role like dedicated to what they are. So the breastplate of righteousness is to, is to help righteousness cover what? Your heart. That righteousness is a matter of the heart. He talks about the shield of faith, that like your faith is what is gonna like, like protect you from any of the onslaught that's coming. It, it's all faith. He talks about having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. He's saying, at any moment, you sh- your feet, the sandals you're wearing should be ready to go share the gospel. You should be ready to walk wherever you need to go to share the gospel. That's part of the, part of the job of this armor. He talks about this, this helmet of salvation because you know where the enemy likes to fight? In the mind. And this helmet of salvation is to remind you in, in your mind, I am saved. And to remind myself the joy of my salvation and that this helmet is to protect my mind from deceiving me. And then he talks about this belt of truth and the belt was always the thing they put on last because it was the thing that tied everything together. It was the thing that made all of the armor like stay on and fit. And, and, and what do you know? He said, it's truth. That, the, that the, our belt that holds all of this together is the truth, God's truth. 
And then he lists out this, this final piece that it's the, only, it's the only offensive weapon. So all of armor is defensive, right? It's to, it's to stop like things from getting through and hurting you. There's one offensive weapon. He says the word of God, it's the sword of the spirit. So he, right, all of these soldiers, they got a sword of some kind. And, and he says, our sword is the sword of the spirit. And, and he, which is, he tells us the word of God. Now here's the, in, the, the like interesting thing about the, this, about what right, Paul writes here. There's a, there's a couple words for the word word in the word. All right. Does that make sense? That's a lot of words, right? But there's a couple, like there's two different words that are used for the word word. And the one that most of us know or realize if you've been, you know, in church for a while and, and, uh, and it's in John chapter one and it's the logos. In the beginning was the logos, the word. So in the beginning was the word in the Greek, in RK, uh, logos. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it's this word logos every time. And then we come to see that the the word became, took on flesh and dwelt among us and that the word actually is Jesus and that the, like Jesus is the logos. And logos is much more than just like when we think of word, it it literally means like the thought or the divine thought or the divine truth that he is, he is, he is, he is, it's much more than just a word, but he is, he is divinity itself summed up in like God's thought and his word, like the collective word of God. All right. When Paul writes the word of God, here, he doesn't use that word. In fact, in fact, ready? He's not even talking about the Bible. Do you know how he's not, why, why we know he's not talking about the Bible? It's really, it's really easy. Okay, ready? It hasn't been written yet. <laughs> he's literally writing it. So when we think of the Bible, like when we see word of God, is written in, what they have is the Old Testament, but Paul is writing letters that will be included in it. And, and, and like, there's still books that are gonna be written after him. That like, after he writes this, there are other, there are other letters that, are, that he's gonna write. And, and John's still got some stuff to write. And Peter's got some stuff to write. So he's, he's talking, it includes the word, it absolutely includes the Bible, but, but do you know what he uses? He doesn't use the logos of God, logos hotheos, but it, which, is, which is usually what's referred to when we talk about scripture, like the word of God. He uses a different word for the word, word. <laughs> he uses the word rhema. Rhema is different than logos. Rhema literally means the word you speak, like the word, like the actual unit of the, the letters together, the word, any word, any word is a rhema. It's when we use the word word, we're saying rhema, that I am speaking rhemas right now. And Paul writes here, ready for this? That the, the sword of the spirit is not the logos of God, but the rhema of God. You know what that tells us? Okay, you ready? You sitting down? Here's what that tells us. This is meant to be spoken. It's meant to be said. It isn't meant to just be internalized or read even silently or, or to like to think about, not even to just be studied. It's meant to, not even just be preached. It's meant to be spoken about and to people. That the word that here, this sword that we have, isn't you saying like, well, I have this on my shelf, so I'm safe now, I'm protected. The sword of the spirit is you actually saying, I'm gonna open this, I'm gonna read it, and I'm actually, like, there may be times where I need to actually say the words to speak it. Uh, one of the things that you can do, like one of the applications when you walk away from this and, and say like, all right, what am I supposed to do? One of the things you can do is this, Ready? You can begin reading the Bible out loud 
in your room by yourself. Read it out loud. I know we read silently and you read quietly, but what would happen? Just, just, just try it, right? Humor me. Just try it. I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to? Okay, read, just start reading the Bible. I don't know where to start. All right, read the book of John. Start day one, read chapter one, and just read it out loud. By yourself. Close the door so no one thinks you're weird. But just read, read it out loud. Read it out loud to yourself so that you can actually hear yourself preaching the word and speaking the word audibly to yourself. See what happens. This, this is a part of the aspect of the rhema of God. The, the, the sword of the spirit is speaking it. So here's how we fight. To summarize, we fight with armor on, right? We wear our pieces of armor. I know some people who wake up each morning and they pray on the armor. And I'm, I think that's, that's brilliant. And like, uh, so like, Lord, help me be righteous today. Help me understand truth. Get me, uh, let me get, be ready to preach the gospel whenever I can. Remind me of my, my relationship, my understanding, my salvation. And Lord, I wanna, I wanna your, may, may your word be a lamp to my, I wanna use your word. All right. Every morning, just praying over this for them. Not as some like voodoo witchcraft incantation, but rather a, a reminder of, of what it is that we're in a spiritual battle and I want to have my armor on. Every day, every day, we fight with armor on. We fight together, not singular. You don't run off and be like, I got this. No, we fight together, you all, like plural, together. And we fight with words, with rhema. And here's what we see. Paul even mentions the kinds of, some of the kinds of words we use. So we, the, we, we use words to God, what we call prayer. We speak words to God. That, that part of the rhema is speaking, literally speaking to God. That's part of the, the like, the, our spiritual warfare is praying, speaking to him. A second is words to each other. What the Bible often refers to as speaking the truth in love. When we speak to each other, part of spiritual warfare is, is maybe accountability or wisdom or insight. It might even be, this is the hardest one. It might even be a confrontation where you have to confront someone because like, oh man, I know that... that they just don't know or they don't realize and, and it can be the hardest thing you have to do. It can also be one of the most rewarding things you do because our, our battle is not against them, flesh and blood, but there are spiritual principalities that, that really do try to cloud our mind and, and so like speaking the truth in love to other people is a way in which we spiritual, have spiritual warfare. And then the third one, and this is the one I want you to do like on your own, is words to ourselves. Speaking Speaking and reminding ourselves of the truth. And, and maybe even out, literally out loud, reading the Bible out loud to yourself and reminding yourself of the, the authority of Jesus and the authority of God's word audibly to yourself. That's spiritual warfare? Absolutely. And there may be times when you're in your room and you don't know what's going on or it feels like a real dark time in your life, some oppression, and you are speaking the words out loud and, and you don't see these spirits, but there might be, I don't wanna scare you, but there might be actual spirits involved in your life that, that hear these words. That you reading silently is one thing, but you, there might be times where you have to speak the name of Jesus in your life. Ooh, spiritual warfare, okay. So I, we speak words to ourselves. There's one last, one last thing I want to I point to. And that's, and that's why the, like the relationship part that we talked about in the beginning, why it's so important. There's a passage in the book of Acts, in Acts 19, where, uh, where there's some, uh, some followers, and uh, 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 certainly of Paul, who are trying to cast out demons. They're trying to interact with these spirits. 
And, uh, and so they would, they would do this. They would say, we, uh, we command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to leave. And they, they're relying on the authority of Paul, who relies on the authority of Jesus. And then it says this, and, and it says in verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul, listen, Paul I know about, but who the heck are you? Who are you to speak to me that way? There is, a, I think, a book and then a, even a sermon series. It's, it's a little older now, but it was like, I'm, I'm, it's still one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest topics or titles. And it's this, is your name known in hell? Does hell know your name, I think is the title. Do the bad guys know, like, are you creating such, are you creating such a problem for them that they know who you are? Jesus, we know, and Paul, we know about. We, we, we were, we're tired of his letters. We hate him. <laughs> but who are you? What, in, fact, in fact, for some of us, some of us, they, if we have this conversation, they might say, hey, just keep doing what you're doing because you're doing nothing. You're, you're having, listen, you just, just stay the course. Just stay the course. Don't affect anyone else. Don't affect anyone else's experience of, of Jesus. Don't affect, don't grow his kingdom at all. We don't want any of that. Just keep doing, just keep doing what you're doing. We know Paul. We know Jesus. Who are you again? What are you trying to do here? Instead, here's what they tried to do. Ready? They tried to, to use the name of Jesus without a relationship with Jesus. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. This is Paul's guy but we're gonna use that same name and it had no authority, no power. Instead, for those of us in relationship with Jesus and you're growing in your faith and you're like engaging in, in, in your discipleship, realizing there might be some actual spiritual opposition to your life, that, 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 listen, this is a weird thing. It might actually be a good sign that spiritual opposition means you're doing something right because they want you to stop. Hey, stop that. You're reading your Bible a lot more. We're gonna try and stop this. One of the greatest books written on this is, is called Screwtape Letters, again, by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read a book, first of all, how, how, how have you never read a book? <laughs> but second of all, if you're like, all right, top of my list, I want a book, and, and this is an area where you want to grow in, the Screwtape Letters, it should be, it's a really short book, but it is intense, and, and get ready for it. It's C.S. Lewis writing from the perspective of two demons talking about how to deceive a Christian. It's like, it's like reading the enemy's letters behind the scenes. It's, 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 the guy was brilliant. It's so good. If, if this is an area where you're like, I want to know and grow more, start there. But start reading your Bible, even out loud to yourself. There is an unseen spirit realm around you, and it really does affect you. So would you stand with us? We're going we're gonna to pray and then worship the Lord together. So... So thank you, Lord. Thank you that, thank you, that you, you love us. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you have the authority that at, at your name, every knee must bow and every tongue confess. Your name is far greater than any other name. There's no other name under heaven by which we are to be saved. It's only you, Jesus. Thank you for 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 dying to save us and giving us the ability to now grow in our relationship with you and, and to even be positionally set next to you and, to, and, to, and to, to be able to claim your authority in our lives in this spirit realm. It's not us fighting. 
It's you fighting on our behalf and us just simply proclaiming the victory that, you already, that you've already completed. Remind us of this every day. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.